0: Jeff Kirchner, another episode of Do What You Love. And today, well, today is one that I've had on my list since I started the podcast during the pandemic. Um, I really thought I was going to be able to even get through this intro. I'm just warning people right now that this could be an emotional episode. Um, my guest is Nancy Fradies, who is the mother of Oh my goodness! <laughs> so sorry. Of of Pete Frates, who was the inspiration behind the Ice Bucket Challenge. Now this took storm in 2014, and it was all to raise money and awareness to find a cure for ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And um, this is something if you follow me on social media or you listen to my radio show, you know that this disease has hit my family. My uncle Matt uh, was diagnosed back in 2021 with this uh, truly awful disease that goes beyond explaining the reasoning behind it. And and years ago, I participated in the ice bucket challenge. And now here we are, fast forward, and, and my life is all about ALS with the diagnosis in my family. So I don't want to go too much into it before introducing Nancy Frades, the amazing, amazing woman who has spent now her last eight, nine years of her life dedicated to finding a cure to ALS. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me. Jeff, thank you for having me. I think that first of all, I just wanted to say, um, thank you for all of the amazing work you've done in this space of ALS. I was once told that this is the greatest group <laughs> that nobody wants to be a part of. Um, it's mixed blessings for sure, Jeff. It's And mixed. it's because of your family. Now, maybe I'm just kind of on the outskirts of things, but I had never heard of ALS before 2014, before the Ice Bucket Challenge, before I remember doing it. I mean, everybody was doing it. Everybody says when they are working tirelessly for a nonprofit organization, they now say, What can we do that is ice bucket challenge-esque, right? That's like the standard. I fielded many of those phone
1: calls. (laughs) I'm sure
0: you did because, I mean, in the hundreds of millions of dollars were donated to the cause just from Mm -hmm. that, and this was all surrounding your son who was the the driving force behind this. He was diagnosed back in 2012. Am I correct in saying that? Correct. Mm-hmm. and 2014 was really when things started to pick up. Mm-hmm. And for so many people, not hearing about ALS, but then hearing about the Ice Bucket Challenge, you have done wonders for our community, and I want to say thank you, and I want to go back to that time. Who came mm-hmm. up with this idea? I'm sure you've told this story a thousand times, but I want to hear it on this podcast.
2: Sure. Um, well, first of all, let me send my love and my prayers to your family. As you said, this is a group nobody wants to be a part of. Um, and then I'm going to dovetail on what you said as far as not even knowing what ALS was. And in on March 13, 2012, when I was going into a neurologist with my 27-year-old Division I athlete son, um, who was having trouble having his wrist come back and working properly, um, I thought we were going to hear a pinched nerve and those three letters came barreling across the room at me. And um, it was that moment that has driven me uh, for the past 10 years now, um, almost 11 years in March, and um, I didn't know what it was. And for the next uh, 24 hours, as you can well imagine, um, I immersed myself in educating myself about this disease. But the big piece here is that my 27 year old son and how he took this diagnosis, because as I say all the time, I'm probably the closest thing to an ALS patient you can pro- probably be. I'm the mother. I'm the one who gave birth to this child. Um, but I'm not the patient. And, um, to see how he handled this diagnosis and to hear the words that he told our family at supper that night, I, every day, think about those and think about how blessed I was to be this human's mother. Um, He said, we weren't going to look back. We weren't going to ask why. We were going to look forward. And basically, in a nutshell, he said, it's unacceptable because it's unacceptable. Nobody knows what this disease is. It's unacceptable that Lou Gehrig was in 1939 and he died in 1941 and nobody knows what this disease is. And because of that, We are so underfunded," He said, we cannot even move the needle. We're in a static situation because there's no money. So he gathered my family around the table for the next two weeks. We sat and we had whiteboards and we had legal sheets and we were writing down what family member can do this, what family member can do that. And the thing that we came up with was very simple. We came up with a business plan because that's what we were. We were business people. We were not medical people. None of us were nurses. Mm -hmm. Nobody's a doctor. Nobody was even in hospital administration. And we said, we're going to attack this like a business. And our product is going to be a disease. And I think that's a tipping point in our story because we decided to market a disease, not a charity. And I think we did that organically. Everything I'm telling you was... Now, let me tell you, our story is based in one word, and that is love. There was immense love in my family and still is. But this kid, Peter tended to be the center of a lot of love. And, and as the years go- went on, it became incredibly obvious, not only that there was love of family, but that there was love of friends and there was love of community and all the different communities that he that he was part of. So we just got to work, Jeff. We just did what we would do. Um, we quit our jobs, my husband and I, because now as I'm telling this story, which you will understand, We are at parallel times taking care of a progressing ALS patient. So we, um, we couldn't work. We, we just knew that this was going to be our work and, um, and taking care of Pete was obviously the highest priority. So for the next two and a half years under Pete's leadership and under Pete's ideas and guidance, um, we marketed this disease. That's what we did. We chronicled, he said, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna journal. Because when something happens to you like this, people are always saying, Well, journal your journey, you know, journal it. Mm -hmm. And he looked at us and he says, No, we're not writing it. Remember, this is 2012. He said, We're going on social media and we're gonna use video, which was relatively a novel idea. That was big
0: back then. I mean now you don't think about it, but you It's, you
2: you don't even use pictures anymore. Right. You use video. Everything's video. Look at, there are are complete, uh, you know, platforms now that are only video based. Back then, video wasn't that big a thing. And he said, look, I know what it's going to do to me. And he said, and it's visual. He said, we can Mm. talk about it, but if we put it up there and we, and we show it, people are going to see what this is going to happen to my body. And, so for two and a half years, that's what we did. And we, we knocked on doors. Who were the biotech companies that were in this, this space? Who, who were the investors? Who were the angel investors that we didn't even know that were mm-hmm. in? Because that's a whole nother thing with this disease. It was in the shadows. People weren't coming out and saying, I have ALS or I have a family member with ALS. It had traditionally been a, it, it, and still is a very humbling disease, but people were kind of frightened to come out and talk about it. He wanted to change all that. And he said, that's what we're changing. So unfortunately, come 2014, um, July of 2014, um, Pete was was completely paralyzed by then. He had a very fast progression. Um, He was in a wheelchair. He was on a feeding tube. He could no longer speak. He was typing with his eye gazer. And and like I said, we were going to a lot of ALS events with large groups of people raising large amounts of money, just really out there making a name for ourselves. And, um, And this disease. And he got god love him a text from his uh his brother in fight pat quinn out of new york who said pete something just came across my feed he goes i think this is what we've been working for buddy pete looked at it called us in and typed with his eyes this is it this is it we're going to make it our own and that's what we did we literally pulled out the computers i mean Honestly, we're talking 2014 now. Mm-hmm. So Pete is telling us about tagging people of influence. Who heard of an influencer in 2014, <laughs> right? We were we were the original people. I was like, okay, Pete, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And he would say, and then he, he, he said, we make sure we tag. We make sure we comment on every ice bucket challenge. What do you want us to say? I want you to say thank you. I want you to tell them thank you for joining our fight. And that's what we did. And Jeff, when I could tell you stories during that month of August of 2014 that you wouldn't even believe. Our Facebook page, we had about 5,000 followers, which was pretty good um, at the beginning of August of 2014. Um, By the end, we had 55,000 Facebook followers. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it was crazy. Uh, We did every television show known to man. And, and what's interesting again behind the scenes of it is that we made a pack as a family. Now this is a family sitting around a kitchen table doing mm-hmm. this. And, and we said to each other, um, people want our cell phone numbers. Like that's uh, the ALS association called us. All the, all the uh, organizations were saying people want to talk to you. And, you know, when somebody says, can they have your uh, cell phone number? Your first instinct is to say no. And then we said, well, no, wait a minute. This is uh, this is it. We this is what we've been working for. So we this is how we triage the media. We did a family Google calendar. So when somebody would take an interview, they would put it in the calendar so that when ABC called, we could line it up in the morning because CBS was coming in the afternoon. We were talking to the Los Angeles Times, we had the New York Times, we had the Washington Post. We had all these people were calling us and we said We're not going to miss an interview. We're not going to miss an opportunity because we were business people and we knew this is what we needed to do. So that's what we did. And that's how we grew it. And the numbers speak for themselves. There are 17 million ice bucket challenge videos viewed by, um, viewed by 440,000 unique viewers over 10 billion times. Oh. We raised a quarter of a billion dollars in six weeks. Um, but as you said in your introduction, it's the ripple effect of the ice bucket challenge, right? It's the ripple effect of what it did. People started talking about it neighbor to neighbor, coworker to coworker saying, I did the ice bucket challenge. And then you'd say your, your neighbor or your friend would say to you, Oh, My grandfather died of that. People were identifying that it wasn't so rare. It wasn't so far away from, you know, how many degrees away from them. You know why, Jeff, unfortunately, it's because we die too fast. Every 90 minutes someone is diagnosed with ALS, every 90 minutes someone dies of ALS. So, you know, as as we know in the disease community, our, our patients don't live long enough in order, in order to cultivate community. They cultivate it, but then they die, right? And mm-hmm. a family is left in ruins, in ruins after the journey. I mean, the journey itself just takes everything out of you. So it's up to us. It's up to the survivors of, of this disease to keep telling the story, to keep the momentum going and look where we are today you if you had asked me that night in 2012 if only 10 years from then what w- what would have been accomplished where we are at I would have said to you I dream about it every
0: night
1: mm-hmm.
0: I think I think your story of how that was created and in the time it was created and in the way it was created it was created with love as you said and and that is the only reason it wasn't a bunch of marketing people around a table, you know, trying to come up with something. It was all written in love.
2: It was. And I always say our journey started, it was very selfish on our part. We wanted to save our son. Mm -hmm. And, um, unfortunately at some point during the journey, the realization that they're not going to live is because it's a hundred percent fatal. You're told that in, in, in the diagnosis and, And yeah, we're, we're changing it. We're going to change it. We're not there yet, but, but that's what it was. It was, it was a selfish, selfish thing on my part that grew in scope. Whereas today I still dedicate um, my life to it. But let me just give you a quick anecdote on that. I said we raised just based on what you just said. We raised a quarter of a billion dollars net. net. Wow. There were. No fees. There were no agencies. There were, there was nothing. So when we met with Facebook in 2015 and they told us many stories that I could regale you with. I mean, you would just be blown away by what they told us in these meetings. They called us in and said, we want to meet with you. And they said, well, you, you have, um, you're the catalyst for us. We've looked at what you did and we thought, well, wonder if they had like a button. (laughs) <laughs> that when people put a video up, they could just press
0: oh a button my and it would go
2: right to where the money should go. And they said, it took five steps for you to raise $1. So they said, we're going to develop tools. And they have, they have come out obviously and said the donate button and the um, anniversary uh, fundraisers. Were based and catalyzed by the Ice Bucket Challenge, mm-hmm. but what's interesting is when the Sir Nurtures and the Quins and the Freidies met with them and they told us they were going to do that. We told them they couldn't charge fees. Oh, because if they truly wanted to emulate it, they couldn't That's... charge. And what? they have raised. I, you know, Cheryl uh, Sandberg. I've, I've met with her and 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 spoken with her. Um, they've raised over six billion dollars. For oh my nonprofits goodness. Based on the donate button. So, so the legs of this story, the tenants of it are, are just amazing. And I'm so proud. I'm so proud of my son. Would I go back to the day before diagnosis and say, this doesn't happen absolutely every day, but it did happen. And he's the one that kept telling me that it's happening, so what are we going to do about it? How are we going to make... He was a true team player, Jeff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're a, uh, a sports family. Pete was always looking out. He was always the, the captain. He was always trying to be the best he could be so that his teammates would be the best they would be. And he would always say, I'm going to leave the team better for the next set of guys.
1: Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Country music has so many generous artists who always seem to jump in to help those in need. We're spotlighting five who lead by example and lend a helping hand to charitable causes. See who made our list. When you text give to four, five, nine, one, one, text, give to four, five, nine, one, one, and read all about it right now on backstagecountry.com.
0: You know what really? Um, what really stood out to me, and what you were saying, was that your reason for starting all of this was selfish, rightfully so. I mean, I think that's why most of us get involved in any sort of organization, in any mm-hmm. sort of raising money, is you know to save the one you love. But just from hearing you retell the way Pete was the catalyst for this, I feel like he was thinking bigger picture. He was thinking about the team from day one. I mean, he said, we've got to show them me because we have to show this disease so that the next person can get better from this, so that the next person... I think it's just so incredible to hear.
2: It was all about... Because he said... So after he set the strategy for us at that dinner table that night, I will tell you this, he took me in the other room and he sat down. Because, you know, I had always been... You know, the classroom mother, the, the captain's mother that organized all the stuff. (laughs) I mean, I was that person for him. Right. And he took me in the other room and he said to me, mom, now I know how hard you're going to work on this. He said, but I need you to understand it's not going to be in time for me. It's going to be so that no other family has to go through this. And he said it to me the night he was, he had that diagnosis probably 10 hours before. And he said that to me. Wow. And, um, so I would put on as you know I do a, a lot of speaking now, and I'm out talking about our journey. And what I always tell them is that I choose to be positive and productive and passionate in honor of my son every morning because it would be very easy for me to just throw my hands up and, and give up on it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's his spirit, it's his words, it's his love that drive me every day, and it's those words that we do not. Want
0: any other family to go through this? We're on with Nancy Frades, who is her family has done so much for the community of ALS. My uncle was diagnosed. I'm, I'm wearing my Lou Gehrig hat, um, which we bought. I buy, <laughs> I literally, Nancy, buy everything online. That's like 10%, 30%, 100% going to ALS search. I have so many T-shirts and hats. So I'm wearing my Lou Gehrig hat from Lou Gehrig Day. And then this shirt I wanted to tell you about. So if you want to watch, you know, obviously you're listening to a podcast, but I also put all this up on social media and on YouTube and all that so you can see it there. I'm wearing a a Cardinal shirt, not for the St. Louis Cardinals, but in fact for uh, Catholic University Cardinals. Um, excuse me. Similar to your son, my uncle was a Division One baseball player, heck of an athlete. And um, he played Division I baseball at uh, Catholic University. And right after, shortly after his diagnosis, the Catholic University baseball team played a fall game, an away game, like kind of a fall ball, get the teams excited for the spring season. And all of the players were wearing this practice warm-up jersey with the strikeout like ALS. ALS on the corner and then on the back
2: can... yep.
0: yep the last name and its number on the back and my uncle, my uncle
2: he he's the greatest guy in the world i can tell yeah. you i have traveled all over the world jeff talking with ALS patients. um, I've met hundreds, hundreds of them. And I will tell you this, every time I meet them, a family member or a friend will come over to me and they'll say, I don't know why this hit them. They are the best person I know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think there's so much truth to what you said earlier, and I'm trying to pull it together here. I'll get it together. I promise, Nancy. Um, because because you said something that was so important, which was, you know, a lot of people were hiding in the shadows, were for some reason ashamed or because this disease is wretched. I mean, it is, it is so terrible and it just ravages the body. So for your son to be so selfless and to want to share his journey and, you know, to want people to see what this is. And the fact that you know, some diagnoses don't happen for months and months and months where we could have been Years. making progress. Years, Years never. even. Yeah. Or never. That's part of the thing that I've learned is that, um,
2: you know, our numbers are very stagnant at 30,000, you know, people in the United States at one time. But I can tell you this. I know people who have come up to me. I had someone come up to me and say that, oh, my father died of, um, what did they say? It was uh MS. My father died of, M- my father had MS. I said, oh, I, I'm, I'm very sorry. And they said, yeah, but he died of emphysema. And I thought to myself, that's ALS. That's yeah. not emphysema, that's ALS. And what happens is, and what we knew, what we knew in 2012, yeah. and, and and again, the climate is changing, is that a lot of general practitioners, when someone comes in and says, you know, oh, I'm having trouble buttoning my shirt or my foot's dropping a little bit. Well, their first instinct is to send them to an orthopedic person.
1: Like right. there's
2: something wrong with you orthopedically. And then if they go to an orthopedic person that's not versed in neurological stuff, you know, they try, I know, I know patients that have had shoulder surgery. You know, they're an ALS patient. They're losing the ability to use their arm and the GP and the orthopedic guy. Say, oh, yeah, they need to have shoulder surgery. So, so this is another thing that happened with Ice Bucket. We know that there mm-hmm. were a lot of general practitioners that were like, hmm, I might not be identified. This might be not on my top of mind mm-hmm. when someone comes in with these symptoms. Um, I'll tell you a quick, uh, a a, a beautiful fact that I love to talk about, and I'm going to shoot out a name who I know that you know, is um, Dr. Merit Sokovic at um, Mass General Hospital at the Healy Center for ALS, which really is the center now for, for ALS that has come out of all what has happened in the last 10 years. And when I sit down with Merit and do interviews or we speak, When we talk about Ice Bucket, you know, all the facts and figures, all the social media stuff, the money, they love that. You know what she says to me? you know what the most important piece is? Is how many young people have come into the world of neurology or specifically ALS because of that. Wow. And I thought to myself, that is so profound when you think about it. Mm -hmm. And I just know being... At the Mass General Department in the ALS world, where Merritt was Pete's doctor at the time. She's now director of all of neurology at Mass General. But just the new blood that has come in there, yeah. the young doctors now that are studying this disease. Wow. That's all I can say. Wow. Well,
0: it, 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 you said it earlier, the reach of what was going on in at that dining room table with the videos across the country – Across the world, for that matter mm-hmm. has has gotten so much bigger down to the facebook donut donate button and all of that i mean it, it's just incredible what you and your family have done and for somebody listening for somebody listening right now to this podcast, right most people mm-hmm. who would listen probably have you know either been a friend or a family member of mine for a while or they've listened to me on a radio station. Maybe mm-hmm. they know that this is part of my my family story or maybe they don't, but for somebody listening. And I said, okay, I want to help today. I want to learn more today. Are there resources or things that you would recommend for somebody to learn more or to donate to trusted sources that you think are the right ones to be going to?
2: Yes. And and I would would reiterate that the Sean Healy Center for ALS at Mass General Hospital, um, they are basically anything that is in the lab right now, that is, um, that is being discovered for it to be in the clinical trial process all from all over the world is going through that center. Wow. And the center now has worked diligently and with the investment of, of Sean Healy's $40 million. Sean was a businessman in Boston, um, had his own hedge fund. He was diagnosed with ALS. He and his company donated $40 million to um, create the the Healy Center for ALS. And part of that money has gone to developing what's called a master platform trial, which is used in the world of cancer and other diseases. And what that is, is you have one placebo group where you will test many many compounds against only one placebo group. Now, what Mm. that does is... It, number one, in the world of ALS, a placebo group is probably the most mind-blowing thing anybody in our world could even imagine, the thought that they would put somebody on placebo. But that's the world of clinical trials. But what this does is it reduces the number of patients that have to be on placebo, and it speeds the process up five times. If we're doing five drugs at once, they're going to get into the, into the clinical trial process so much faster now, let me tell you this. When Pete was diagnosed in 2012, we had one drug, one drug in that process. And I'm talking about not symptomatic drugs. I'm talking about drugs that, that go after the progression of this disease that either slows the progression down or stops it completely. We have one. Do you know right now at the Healy Center, there, there are more than 80 drugs, therapies wow. in the pipeline. I mean, so that's where I would point the money is at the Healy Center. The other place I would point the money, because we have this thing going on in our community, which our family well knows, is that it's the cure versus care. People frame it, the question to me like, Nancy, if I give you a dollar, where are you going to put it? And I'll say right now, I'd put it 50-50 because yes, we need the cure. That's all a family wants is a cure. They want to stop the progression of this disease. But in the meantime, we have 30,000 families right now that have a progressed ALS patient that they're going to, that they're trying to do their best to keep in their home where they love. And it takes a lot of resources. I'm talking time, people and money. So there's a, a, an amazing organization in Falmouth, Massachusetts called Compassionate Care, ALS, and they are the leaders in care. I have Mm -hmm. never seen the likes of them. As a matter of fact, Jeff, um, when Pete passed, we had an MV1 mobility van for him and we donated it to CCALS and they use it as a loaner vehicle um, for families that need it. So those are the two organizations that my family um, has continued to support because we feel that is a balance of, of the top of cure and the top of care. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a family foundation. Um, so so our, our journey got very difficult towards the end. Pete was ventilated for five years, which a lot of patients, like more than 90% of patients do not choose to be ventilated. But Pete was 30 years old when that and, – and he had just had um, our Lucy, our granddaughter, um, in August before that decision had to be made. And he went on a ventilator, and he was on a ventilator for five years, and the level of home health care that we had to bring into the home in order to keep him there um, is not covered by insurance. So um, it is uh, you know, it's it's the disease that keeps on giving, as far as I, I can say. Um, so our found our Peter Frady's Family Foundation, um, we give out grants to help with home health care costs wow. so that people can stay home um, and, and, and just a little longer in the way that that we can help. So there are many ways that people can help. I think my overarching in saying all that, I would say, look at your community. There's a family in your community that needs help. And that yeah. would be the first place I would
0: point them. Right next door, down the street, around the corner. There's a
2: family that needs yeah. your help. And you can give it to them in sweat equity by going and just giving whoever the family caregiver is a respite. Let them go out for the afternoon. Let them go to a movie at night. Or if you can help financially to help with caregiving expenses, do that. That's where I would go.
1: Backstagecountry.com, your online home for all things country music. Country music has so many generous artists who always seem to jump in to help those in need. We're spotlighting five who lead by example and lend a helping hand to charitable causes. See who made our list when you text GIVE to 45911. Text GIVE to 45911 and read all about it right now on BackstageCountry.com.
0: Yeah, my uncle, we just started here in 2023. Daily and and nightly family being at his house with him. And so, my brother in law, for example, my sister's husband, who has been part of our family for 10 plus years, and he was a groomsman in my wedding, he's one of my closest Mm -hmm. friends. He works from home there on Thursdays. My dad is there on Fridays. His son, Michael, my cousin, is there on Wednesdays. His daughter's there on Tuesdays. And then it, it like we have a massive schedule. I'm up in Philadelphia. They're down in Maryland, so I'm unable yep. to be part of that daily care, which just breaks my heart beyond belief. But I think that cure and care is something that is so important, and people overlook all the time. I mean, you mentioned that you and your husband, you know, quit your jobs just to take care of your son, and and for so many people, health care is not going to cover anything. I mean, I talked to my uncle briefly about some of the expenses he's incurring sure. and and it just it's astronomical and I don't want to get into this whole thing but it's unacceptable that like you pay your whole life into this thing called healthcare and then the minute you need it they're like, "Oh,
2: well, we don't know about this." You said the word though, Jeff. You said the word unacceptable. Yeah. It's unacceptable. Do you know in in Canada, an ALS patient is not a vented ALS patient is not allowed to leave the hospital without um, a care plan in place. Do you know, in Japan, they pay full for vented patients to have respiratory nurses in to help them? What, what, you know, we really need some work. We have a lot of work to do in a lot of areas in this company, in this country. But, um, I, I, this is one that when you are in it and you are, um, you're living it every day. You you you're just blown away by it, and you know that's the other piece is is when you lose your patient, um, your reflection on all this is it it, it um it's almost it's like post traumatic syndrome. Mm-hmm. Honest to God, I think I've been in PTSD. For the past three years, I think I held it in for the whole time because Pete asked me to. Pete asked me not to be weepy, not to be negative, not, not to be like that. And, and, and I, like I said, it was work for me. I mean, it mm-hmm. was, it was a conscious work every day for me not to be like that. And, and since his passing, I've had a lot of trauma. Um, and all these things that we're touching base on. Um, that, that it's still there and that families are still having to deal with it. Um, we shouldn't have to, we should just have to love our patient and take care of them from, from being just their family member, not from being their caregiver. And, and look, caregiving is, is not just our problem, not our community problem. I, I speak for all caregivers. It is the hardest job you'll ever have. And, um, it's just in our disease, it's just a hard thing because, you know, once you enter it, there's only one way out. And, and, yep. and that reality is so hard.
0: Yeah. That reality is so hard. And, you know, one of, the, one of the hard things I felt is for a patient, you know, before my, my uncle was diagnosed almost a day to the, or a year to the day. Uh, My grandmother passed away of Alzheimer's and dementia, and my dad and my uncle were her primary caretakers, and Mm -hmm. she moved in with me and my family when I was 15. My uncle was over all the time, two streets down from me, so I grew up with Mm -hmm. him always so close, and, you know, there was something, even as a 15-year-old, I would help take care of her, and there was some sort of beauty at times where she would have a really rough night. She would open her door. I'd hear it. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. She had no idea where she is, who she is, who I am. I would calm her down. I'd put her back to sleep. She'd wake up three, four more times. Wake up the next morning. Nana, how did you sleep? I slept great. I'm ready for a great day. Because there was it was yep. a blessing and a curse. And to those people who have had family members who have gone through this, you know, everybody deals with with this in their own way. For us, I, I kind of thought, wow, there's, there's a little bit of beauty in that because... She had a terrible night, but she doesn't even remember having a bad night. And now she can take a nap and just enjoy her day and restart when the sun comes up in the morning. And I think the thing that I have trouble really grasping with ALS is the fact that the brain is, is active. You're, you're seeing yourself go through this. And, you know, my uncle was that guy, still is, in his heart. That guy walks in a room, booming voice, you know, and just commands it, telling jokes, pointing people out, having a blast, and he's lost that part of his personality and it's not his fault. You know, and, and he can't, you know, sit there and command the room and tell an amazing story because he's he's losing his voice, you know, he's losing his communication, which is a part of him that is something that we all love and something that I know is important to him as well, and, and so do people listening who don't really understand ALS in that way. When you think about it like that, that's what drives me up a wall that we can't figure out what we can do to stop. How I tell people
2: how I tell people is the day of diagnosis is the best day that person's going to have for the rest of their lives because the next day you're going to wake up and just a little bit more of them is going to be taken away and then the next day the same thing. And you just, my husband once, he would say to me in the morning when we wake up, he would say, I wonder how we're going to get kicked in the balls today. (laughs) You know, I I remember certain (laughs) things of our journey. I remember, yeah, 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 that's what he'd say. I wonder how we're going to get kicked in the balls today. I mean, mean, just what (laughs) else is going to be. Right. That's how you feel. Mm -hmm. That's how you feel. Totally. I remember the day Pete was. 29 years old and he walked in the house and he had his car keys in his hands and he walked over to the kitchen table and he dropped them just like a mic drop because he knew he couldn't drive anymore. (laughs) He knew he wasn't safe because he had no feeling in his foot. And I thought to myself, holy God. I mean, just (laughs) when you think that you got yourself together and you're going to make it through the day and then something like that happens. I mean, these milestones that they hit – you are not prepared for, it. you think you are, cause you, you're, you're, you're educating yourself. You're learning, you're talking to people. You're like, Oh my God, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen. But when they hit, it's, it's, it's like you can't even breathe. You're like, yeah. I can't. And, and I do now <clears throat> part of what I do is I do a lot of mentoring with families. I do a lot of mentoring with patients and, you know, and try to tell them, look, these hurdles, they don't want to go in the wheelchair. Because they don't. Once they go in, they're not getting out. Mm -hmm. They don't. These these things are so. These are so devastating that you you can't even wrap your your brain around them. But somehow we do. Sometimes, but you know how we do. And Jeff, this is it in your story. People throw the word love around a lot. It's thrown around, but it is so based in love. Mm-hmm. Because you love so hard and you love so fiercely this person that living in the present is how you get through. Mm-hmm. Because when you see yourself getting like that, you stop and you say to yourself, they're right there. They're right there. I'm going to live right now, this moment with this person who I love so deeply and, and wow, what a, blessing what a gift that is that this disease has given me i live in the moment every moment is a gift to me right because guess what i don't and i say this all the time when i speak i said that night before we sat down with pete we knew we were going in to see a neurologist and we looked at him and we said pete what what are we going to hear tomorrow because his wrist hadn't come back from getting hit with the baseball and he looked at us and my husband said you know This was the last present Pete could, could really give us. And he looked at us and he said, mom and dad, they're going to say, it's a pinched nerve. It's a pinched nerve. And John goes, that was the last good night of sleep I have had. And I will have for the rest of my life. And, and that's how you live in this world. And now it it is for others. It is as much as I can help others to navigate these waters. They are rough ones. And Mm -hmm. like I said, if there's anything your listeners can take from this, is this, is that we haven't cured this disease yet. We right. haven't stopped this disease yet. So people who are getting diagnosed with this disease today, yes, we've made all this progress. We've raised all this money, but they're still getting those words. It's a 100% fatal. Nobody has lived through this disease yet, and we need to change that.
0: I think that's a great place to to wrap it up and for those who have you know made it through this conversation, I apologize for the amount of tissues you probably tried to eat. <laughs> I have never kept a tissue box near my podcast <laughs> studios, but I probably should have today. Nancy Frades, I can't I can't thank you enough for you know to bring it full circle, you said at the dining room table, Hey, we're gonna give our cell phone numbers out. Your number came to my dad I asked my dad if I could have it. He said, absolutely. She said she will take any call or any text message or anything. And I texted you, somebody you've never met before or spoken to. Now, granted, you knew you know the Kirkshin story a little bit, and um, but you could not have been quicker to respond, quicker to be a part of this, and, and just a true joy. And I can say, without a doubt, this has been my favorite episode of this podcast, just because... <clears throat> Um, what it means to both of our families to do this.
2: And Jeff, please send my love and hope and prayers to your whole family because it's the whole family that gets ALS. It really is. Even the patient is the center of it, but you will never be the same. You will never be the same. It, and you will be part of our community forever. You, you just will. It doesn't leave. It doesn't leave you.
0: Nancy, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time.